Hello, hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us once again at Life Church Canton. Uh, my name is Jared, and I'm one of the hosts. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm the host. I'm one of the pastors at Life Church, and I'm also still without my podcast microphone, so I apologize. It sounds a little bit uh, different, a little lesser quality. I hope you're still able to listen just fine. Um, you're going to hear today from Pastor Nathan, and uh, he is continuing, uh, he's actually starting off a brand new series called Galatians. And, um, and we're going through the whole letter that Paul writes to the Galatian church. So I hope you enjoy this one. This is a message about um, just the first few verses and specifically about Paul's introduction to the letter where he's preparing them for a rebuke, a correction that's going to take place in that ancient church. Um, but there's certainly tons of relevant information for us today that I think we'll we'll need to listen to. Uh, if you're a regular listener but you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that. Um, and then also, if you would like to give to Life Church, uh, we would greatly appreciate your investment uh, because it helps us get to do the work of the kingdom. And actually, just today, I got an opportunity uh, to talk to somebody online about their interest in baptism. Uh, you can give by clicking on our links in the show notes. Uh, now, enjoy the sermon from Pastor Nathan. Welcome those of you who are coming back. Maybe this is the second time you've been here. Um, you've been here on Easter and you're coming back today. That's, that's incredible online. Maybe you're checking us out for the very first time. We are so glad you're here. We would love for you to connect with us through the Now page online. You'll see a link popping up shortly. If you've never filled out a Connect card, do that in the room. Please, as well, I'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. You can do that digitally or come to us at the welcome desk on the way out. Let us know that you are here. Now, we're in a brand new series on Galatians. We're going to be walking through the book of Galatians, and we're going to take a minute with it. We're going, to, we're going to spend some time in it. Why? Because deeply diving into the Word of God transforms our hearts, but also because the biblical literacy in our world right now, is, uh, specifically among Americans, is the worst it's been in centuries, which is crazy because we have more access to more commentaries and books and devotions and tools than ever before, and yet... We use it less than ever before. Only 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. That's not a great number. And 18% of people who regularly attend church don't read the Bible outside of church at all. Now, what are we missing out on? We're missing out on an incredible amount of what God wants to do in and through us to help us have peace and understanding. But more than that, one uh, individual who does research on that says this, simply put, we have a biblical literacy, meaning we don't understand the word of God deficit, in part because we have a spiritual maturity deficit. Plenty of research shows the correlation between spiritual maturity and reading the Bible. If you want spiritually mature Christians, get them reading the Bible. That's a statistical fact. But more importantly, it's a biblical truth. Dwelling in the Word of God. It talks in Psalms about that, that those who dwell on the Word of God are like trees planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Are you feeling withered? It's time to get in the Word of God. Do you want to have the fruit you need for when your kids need you to be there? It's time to get in the Word of God. And so we're hoping that you find joy in this series and that you find 
challenge in this series. I'm going to encourage all of you to start reading the Word of God, specifically Galatians. And our job on stage is to, one, help you do that, help you realize that it's supposed to be this way, but also to help give you joy, to help you discover things in the Word of God and be like, oh my gosh, I never knew that was there, and hopefully open you up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do through the Word of God in your life. Now, even if you don't follow Jesus, I believe that the Word of God is going to do something inside of you. So I encourage you to join us in this series. And it isn't just about knowledge of the Word of God. It isn't just about knowing theological facts and having a good rhetoric. That's not what this is about. It is about the practice of the meditation on the Word of God, experiencing the Word of God, really diving into it and allow it transform you, dwelling on the Scripture and letting it move in your head, using your imagination to experience it over and over again. So I have a question for you. I've been doing this where I ask a question from last week's message because we do more than, you know, we do a message every week and sometimes you guys miss it. But I asked a question. I asked you guys to do something and that was to read the Gospel of John. So quick question, did you read the Gospel of John? Did you read it in its entirety? Now I know someone on my staff, I could tell they read the Gospel of John because they quoted something from it to me to encourage me. My question to you is, is have you done that? We're gonna go after it. We're going to go deep into that. By the way, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And there's a lot of people in the room I haven't seen in a while, or they're wearing masks. There's people online as well. The people who are pastors online would like to get to know you. So I would like you to shout out your name to me uh, on the count of three, all right? And and really shout it out or write it down in the comments right now. uh, And so we're going to do that together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Okay, I heard this side of the room, so we're going to try it one more time again. Uh, Maybe you weren't ready. I want you to shout out your name. Ready? One, two, three. Nice to meet you. I think there was a Steve in there somewhere. (laughs) Have you met Saul? I want to introduce you to Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul is a man dedicated and devout in his faith. He was a Jewish man, and he did everything he could do to do the right thing. He was accepted in the right circles, born into privilege, but hardworking, and he didn't let it go to waste. Extremely dedicated to the Jewish way of life and studied under one of the best rabbis of the time, most prominent ones of his time, set apart, dedicated to the word of God. He would dwell in the word of God like I was talking about a staunch defender of the Jewish faith. So much so, and this is what he's known for, when a religious cult infiltrated the Jewish community, he set out to discredit it and to destroy it. In fact, he stood at many of the stonings, the ritualized killings of these cult members. And the cult was called The Way. And this guy was really after it. And while meditating on Scripture one day, on the road to do this job, literally going to a place called Damascus to make sure that he got rid of these cult members, he had an encounter. He had something that happened to him that changed him forever. And he reflects on this moment in Acts. I know you're like, but this is a series on Galatians. We're going to get there. I want you to understand Acts and what happens. Acts 22, 3 through 11. This is him speaking. Because I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I stuttered under uh, Gamaliel 
and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So much so that I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As a high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light of heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the response was, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I said. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all the things that you have been assigned, commissioned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A powerful, powerful moment. Paintings have been made of this moment, this transition, this conversion, Saul's conversion. Saul had an encounter with Jesus. I should prick your ears for those who understand our code. He had a moment where he experienced Jesus, much like we get to in the Word, but also in worship in our day-to-day life. This was after Jesus had risen from the dead, a divine encounter with Jesus. And he goes on to be commissioned by God to bring the word of God to those who were not Jewish, the Gentiles. That's most of every person in this room. We're all Gentiles, others, those who weren't chosen by God to be his people. See, God was expanding, and he was choosing Paul to be his instrument to do this, an encounter with Jesus. Saul's spiritual eyes had been opened to the fact that he had been persecuting the very people that God was going to transform the world through, and he was being called into it. And while his spiritual eyes had been opened, his physical eyes had been blinded, and he went into Damascus, and God spoke to another person to go and speak to him, to heal him. And then he spent 10 years rediscovering the scripture, discovering Jesus, encountering him again and again in the word of God with new spiritual eyes. And Saul became Paul, the most prolific writer that we have in the New Testament. Now, hopefully I was able to take you on that journey. Some of you didn't know that about Paul, but we have to know that about Paul because what he starts to write about, it doesn't quite make sense without understanding where he was and what he had done. So let's dive into Galatians 1.1. Are you guys ready for this incredibly long, exciting journey in the Word of God? Yeah. Richard Christ is excited because he would have an exegetical sermon for every sermon if it his way. So he's going to be excited for the next X amount of weeks. We're not going to tell you it's going to be long. It's going to be good. This is exciting. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. Paul starts by identifying as an apostle. He says, this is who I am. I am an apostle. This is crucial to our understanding. Apostles were special. 
They were considered people who spoke with the voice of Jesus on behalf of God. It wasn't just simply a man speaking, but apostles had been chosen by divine encounter and by divine commission to speak. And we know that because in other parts, when Paul is writing letters, he says, now this is just me. I'm going to say this. And it has to do about singleness. It's a great book. You got to go check it out. Anyways, he goes, now this is what I say. And what he's saying in that moment, he said, everything else I've been saying has been from Jesus. But this is what I say. Here, he's redefining that for them, saying, I am an apostle, apostle. Now, what makes an apostle, among other things, is that divine encounter with Jesus and a divine commission. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he was given a commission to the Gentiles. We just talked about that. Everyone other than the Jewish people. Now, why is that necessary? What was going on? Well, I've talked about this in depth with a lot of colleagues and scholars, and we've talked about why Paul might have been selected. Why Paul? Why him? Why then? See, Jesus left behind disciples. Why did he even need Paul? Now, this isn't for real. This is me speaking, but I believe um, it's because Jesus is never going to be stopped in what he says he wants to do. When he ascended, we know that he says, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What he didn't say is, go into all the nations, find the Jews, and baptize them. He was directly inferring every single person. Now, these disciples had walked with Jesus this entire time when he would walk and he would eat with sinners and people who were not Jewish, that he would do all of these things. And he said, go. And so what do you think the disciples all did after Jesus ascended into heaven? They all went out, didn't they? No. They stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem and they didn't go anywhere. First question for you online in person, besides from last week, is this. Have you stayed in the place you found Jesus? When you encountered Jesus, did you just stay there? Have you grown? Have you gone into new areas and brought the word of Jesus? Have you made disciples? Have you poured into someone else so that they're sent out and go change the world? Have you? As Christians, that's what we're called to do. And Paul after 10 years and during that time he spoke about God, he goes on to his journey and he plants churches, creating church after church among the Gentiles. See, he doesn't stay in Damascus where he encountered Jesus outside. No, he goes. He had a divine encounter with Jesus and each of us are invited to that. But then he goes and he goes and does incredible things. And in this one church in Galatia, with the Galatians, that's where this letter is written to. And he's reminding them of who he is. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into the nuances of everything that's going on here, but on right now, or on our now page, we have a, a video that we've linked. It's a video that is written from the perspective of a woman, so she's acting it out. And she talks about the differences between Jerusalem and the Gentiles, and it's incredibly powerful. I encourage you to find out more about the background of this. But what happens is those very same Jewish Christians who stayed in Jerusalem, they hear about these churches out in the far corners of their influence, that Paul has planted these churches and that these churches are going. And a group of them who were Jewish, they went out to those places. They made their own missionary journey to the churches that had already been established. And they say to them, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Christians. You guys call yourself Christians. You, you, you say that you're following God. Well, actually, first, you got to become a Jew because really Christianity is a sect of Judaism. You've got to make sure you eat the right foods and don't eat pork or bacon. Oh, Lord, I'm glad that this didn't go this way. But then, then in male, you got to be circumcised. You got to get rid of that foreskin. And we're going to do that now, grown adult. Like, that's like not great, right? So that there's this reality that starts to set in as in this new freedom in Christ these people show up and these Christians who are baby in their faith are being told okay you're a Christian now you've got to in order to truly serve God they were called they were evangelizers in a way but for the Jewish faith and that's why they called them as you can remember Judaizers meaning whoa whoa cool you got Jesus but actually you need to be a Jew first and to do that, and you'll find that in the video, it was really damaging. In Greek culture, in that area, to do that to your body would have really isolated you from the rest of society. It was a very, very big deal. And they, these Judaizers, they attacked Paul. They discredited him. They said, oh, no, no, no. They may have said, we're from those, the disciples, the ones who really followed Jesus. We're, he's not from any group of people. He's not, he's not a, a, an apostle. They discredited Paul, and they started to put these rules on top of these new Christians. He did not speak with the voice of Jesus. Paul didn't know. We truly know the true faith. And the Galatian church listened, and they started to do what they were told. They engaged, and they believed, and they acted. And Paul finds out about this, and he is enraged. He's indignant and amazed at their lack of faith. His frustration and his anger start to boil over. And what ends up happening is that Galatians, this entire letter, is a fiery rebuke. It's a fiery rebuke. It is something where they get angry. He gets angry. His tone is scathing. His rage, as someone was reading it, would have been felt. Why? He's going to rebuke them for the mistakes that they have made in listening to these individuals who have led them astray. Galatians 1.1 again. You'll see why I had to stop for a second. Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. Sent, do you hear this? Sent not from men, nor by a man, not from a group of people, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I was not sent by a faction of liberals, a factions of conservatives, or deputized by someone who was trying to do something. I am and was sent by Jesus Christ. He says, I'm an apostle, divine encounter and divine commission, and you need to listen. I know what they have said about me. Can you imagine having to defend yourself? <laughs> Say like, look, no, you have to listen to me. But Paul is willing to do it because of the words he's about to speak. And then it goes on, verse 2. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. What's going on here? Well, he's in Antioch most of the time, and there's a bunch of church leaders there. And he's basically saying, okay, if you don't want to listen to me, an apostle, fine. I'm here too with all the leaders of the church in Antioch, and they're not happy. And then he finishes, which seems like, to the churches in Galatia, right? That doesn't seem angry. That doesn't mean frustrated. 
Except when you look at the rest of his letters and you look at the way of writing letters, that there is no compliments, there's no encouragement there, and there's no section of the letter of thanksgiving. He is angry, and he is letting them know it. The absence of compliments or thanksgiving is actually considered rude on behalf of Paul. He's reiterating his agitation, his indignation with the Galatian church. A few words in, and the person reading this, most likely read out loud to the church in the room, they would have known, oh no, we're in trouble. And for those of us who have seen Harry Potter or read the books, there's a moment where Ron messes up in a huge way, and his mother sends a letter to him by owl. I know, it's a magic show, whatever. And this letter, they drop the letters, and letters are normal, but not this letter. This letter is red. It's called a howler. And what a howler does is if you don't open it, um, it'll explode and also it's bad. But if you do open it, it will shout at you. And the point is that everyone in the rooms knows that you messed up. And it's just sad to watch Ron's face as he melts, as his mother yells at him in front of everyone in the school about the things that he has done wrong. He gets chewed out. That's kind of like what's happening here. Now, maybe you haven't seen those movies or read the books. But as a kid, have you ever uh, been, remember a time when you were at your friend's house and their parents came in and chewed them out and you were just standing there? Do you remember that feeling? Where you're just like, oh no, just don't move. If they don't, they can't see you if you don't move, right? <laughs> like, like this idea of like getting just absolutely reamed in front of you. That is kind of what would happen. They know something is wrong. And we could do that too. We could say, man, look at these Galatians, those idiots. <laughs> They're so stupid. Get them, Paul! Get them! That's what we could do, and that's honestly what we end up doing off the time. I'm glad it's not me. Church, the reason why we lack in maturity as a church is because when we read the Word of God, if we even read it, or perhaps when the Word of God is preached, we tend to put ourselves in observation mode. Pull yourself out of it and observe what's happening in it. Sure, the promises of God are for me, but the rebuke of God is for others. Instead, what is happening in this letter is we're invited to read it as if it was written to you and to me. Correction. What's your first instinct when you're corrected? Run. Someone in the room said, run. I often think about why you don't get to correct me. Yeah, anyone else like that? You don't get to correct me. I'm grown. But when you say that, you are inferring that you ain't grown, right? You, 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 you got some issues. My question, when you are corrected, do you discredit the one bringing correction? Do you do that? Well, you can't do that with Paul. You can't do that with Paul. He just proved to you you can't do that with Paul. But the purpose of correction, this fiery rebuke, there's a purpose behind it. Do you realize that the correction is actually freedom, that God disciplines the ones he loves, that the purpose of what Paul is doing is not to make them feel bad about themselves, but you'll see that he has such a fierce desire for them to experience something. Paul gives his credentials and said, discredit me all you like, but I am the voice of Jesus, and you will listen 
a fierce, fiery rebuke to those who have returned to the old ways, a rebuke to those who have abandoned the grace of God. They selected doing certain things and belonging to a certain crowd. They bought into it. They chose works-based righteousness. I must earn salvation. You must belong to this crowd. And they said, okay, we will. So how then does Paul respond to them? What does he say? Now that he's got their attention, what does he say? He reminds them of the most important thing about knowing Jesus And he says this in verse 3, grace, grace, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. You have forgotten grace, that we are all sinners, and without Christ, we would be slaves to this sin, broken in it, that nothing we can do can make us pure. What is grace? A definition is this, the love and mercy given to us by God because God desires us to have it, not because we have earned it, not because we became Jews first, not because we did X, Y, and Z first. No, it's the love and mercy given to us because God desires that we be loved and that we receive mercy. You see, it's no longer grace if we earned it. Do you understand that? Grace can't exist if we earn it because that's not a thing. We cannot earn the love or the mercy of God. Now, legalism, you may have heard that term. It's the dependence on a moral law or rules rather than on faith. It is where your dependence, your confidence comes from what you put or have done. So you could say, I I tithe, I serve, I give, and that means I am a good Christian. These actions should come from an overflow of grace, not as a way of earning it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So love and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. We all deserve punishment. We all deserve pain and and suffering, honestly, for what we have done. But mercy is saying, okay, we're not going to give you that. But grace, grace is getting what you could never deserve. Meaning there's nothing you could possibly do to get the love of God, that that love is a gift, that what he calls us into and the inheritance, all that is grace. You could never earn it. And so we and they have returned to legalism. And we do the very same thing, church, today. That's why this letter is written to us. We subvert the gospel when we create or enforce boundaries to belonging. What does that mean? We do the same thing them to, as they did when we create or enforce boundaries to belonging. That's why you belong is one of our codes. Encounter Jesus, you belong. means you don't have to look like this or that or like us or like others to be loved here and offered the same amount of mercy and grace and love. Why? Because we are centered on grace. It's our natural sinful disposition to discriminate against others. That is what is in our nature. And yet, we keep this as a code, but we have been called to a new nature to extend love and mercy. Before, I've done a thing where I've, I've taken tape and I've created a big box. Some of you will remember this. A box, and it's called the bounded set. And the idea is that if you're outside of the box, you don't belong. 
But if you're inside the box, you do belong. And all of us understand this intrinsically, that things in our life have these bounded set. Whether they're written or not, there's a set of rules that if you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. Some people are born in the box. Some people are born on the other side of the tracks, right? Like, we understand this. This is how our world operates, but it is not, it is not the way that God has called us to operate we, like, uh, let me explain it this way. Some of you remember when you had to wear a suit or a skirt to go to church, right? Those days are behind us at this church, a long way behind us, or you had to le- listen to certain kinds of music. In fact, if you had read Harry Potter, you were not a good Christian, right? No rock music, you can't have drums on the stage, etc., etc., etc. And we're so far beyond all that now, aren't we? <laughs> oh, no. We're still in that. Now it just looks different. Now it just looks different. You have to be in this friend group. You have to be of this political persuasion. Well, those who are Republicans can't belong, or those who are Democrats can't belong. In fact, you have to speak a certain type of way. Their accents, oh man, that accent's weird. You can't have that accent. No, you got to sound a lot more like this. You know, you, you start hearing kind of those, oh, mold hand, those zillennials with their joggers and white crew socks. Like, who does that? I mean, that's ridiculous. Or those millennials parting their hairs on the side. What's wrong with them? Or those boomers taking all our jobs, right? Classism, racism, elitism, ageism, they all infiltrate. And because we naturally discriminate, because if we can make a box, if I can make this box, mm, and I'm inside the box, I'm safe. And if you're outside the box, you're going to make me feel unsafe. So we create boundaries and we enforce them, sometimes without even realizing that we're doing that. We're guilty of drawing differences between us, distinctions for our safety. And when we do this, I want to be very clear, we spit on the gospel. We spit on it. We are just like the Judaizers. We say grace is not sufficient You must look like us. But when grace is the key, when you belong, you get rid of that box, and the cross becomes the focus of who you are. You journey towards the cross. You walk towards the cross. It doesn't matter where you start. It just matters where you're moving. And because of grace, you can experience peace. What does it say in here? Grace and peace. And I could use some peace right now. Without grace, there is no peace. Without true grace and experiencing it, there is no true peace, no joy, no contentment, no rest for the soul. Belonging is a part of peace. If we allow people to feel like they belong, they can put our peace and learn and grow. And when we put our peace in the only defining characteristic of our existence, when we put our hope in the only divine characteristic of our time together, which is grace, we get to experience Jesus more and more. We belong so that we can journey. See, so much of us say, hey, you gotta look a certain way to belong when we realize that in order to become who God has created you to be, you have to belong first. Belonging is for becoming. And we switch that up. We want people to look a certain way before they can belong. This is what's happening back then. And this is what we have done now. Why is Paul so angry? Why is he so angry that they have adopted this new way of thinking, which is really just an old way? I want you to put yourself in the place of Paul 
for just a moment. I'm going to do a little quick history lesson of what's happened even before Acts, earlier in Acts and Acts 6. See, racism and treating people as other has been prevalent in the church since the very beginning. There was a systemic racial discrimination in the church that was happening towards Greek Jews, not Jerusalem Jews, not Hebraic Jews, Greek Jews, meaning they were still Jews. They did what they were supposed to do, but in the inner circle, there was another inner circle, and it was called having the right kind of skin tone. If you looked the right way. And within the church, this is literally while the disciples who stayed in Jerusalem, who wouldn't leave Jerusalem, still couldn't get it right. They were in there, and they're like, oh, those Greek Jews, ah, they suck. Let's give all of our women the stuff first. They'll get it second. And the disciples go, oh, oh man, we got to change this. And so they did. And they did something really cool. They did something incredibly wise. They fixed that injustice by elevating to leadership people who were Greek, the Greek Jews. See, affirmative action actually started in Acts 6. No, I'm not saying it's all we do it right now. That's where it started. Get your Bibles out, read it. (laughs) They purposely gave power, and here's the thing. It didn't just correct the issue. Something beautiful happened outside of it, because Stephen... Stephen, who was given power, who was a Greek Jew, he was given power and authority, so he started evangelizing to everyone. He started telling everyone about Jesus, how powerful it was, so much so that the high priest, the the greatest Jew, the super Jew, the guy who was on top, he brought him in front of all the leaders and said, you've got to stop. And Stephen, in a moment of divine inspiration, he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus and he starts speaking out and all of a sudden everybody changes in their mind. No, that's not what happened at all. He spoke out and they got angry. So much so that they didn't even wait. They started to stone him. They dragged him out to the cesspit and they got rocks. And stoning is when you take rocks about this size and you throw them and bludgeon them until they are dead. It is brutal and it is ugly and it's exactly what they wanted people to see. Stephen was a part of the way. They adopted that a journey towards God starts with Jesus and moves towards the cross. They were the way. That's where it came from. And you should be going, oh man, I'm starting to hear whether this is going. They were so angry. They decided to kill them. But if I'm going to throw these rocks and I'm going to hit this person, what's going to happen is blood spatter. And I can't get that on these clothes. These clothes are expensive and ritually pure. We can't do that. So they literally stripped off their fancy garments to kill Stephen. But I can't just lay these in the dirt. I can't just lay these around, and I don't want anyone stealing these things. So they took all of their coats, and they laid them at the feet of someone they could trust, someone they knew wouldn't you know, do anything to them who they could trust. And they laid them at the feet of Saul. He said earlier, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Saul went on to persecute more and more and more, and most likely not just to stand when someone died, but to participate in the stoning. And when that vision happened on Damascus, when he saw that he was doing this to Jesus, do you imagine the kind of shame, the horror 
the pain that he would have felt knowing, knowing that he had killed. And Paul experiences grace. He experiences this moment where God says, I will forgive you of all that you have done. How much a greater sinner is there than Saul? And so then he hears, he hears that someone's coming in and trying to put religious rules again that he used to bring to its ultimate conclusion, that he used to kill people with those rules. And he gets angry because he knows where it ends. It ends in things like the Crusades, where you don't look like us, so we're going to kill you. It ends in manifest destiny. It ends in all matters of discrimination perpetrated by the church. And he will die before he sees that happen in the church there. Question. Because all of this is to help us feel safe. Has your judgment of others or your enforcement of what they should look like or should do hurt your ability to relentlessly pursue one more, to bring one more person to Jesus? Are you hurting your witness by drawing your box? Have we become like the early Jewish church? Have we tried to control and conform to set up what a good Christian is? Well, peace can only come from grace, and Paul reminds us today that we need peace. Maybe we're not at peace with ourselves. See, I'm talking about outside, but for a moment I want to stop and I want to point to the inside. We have damaged ourselves, and often we sin, we break down, just like Paul did. Can you imagine the guilt that Paul could have carried the rest of his life? that he could have punished himself again and again and again, that he might even have had visions of sitting at the side of a pit watching Stephen die. And he could have beat himself up again and again and again. And some of us, we do that. Instead of hating other people, we actually punish ourselves. I don't belong. Look what I have done. Again and again, we beat ourselves down for how we have messed up. And we can say, well, Jesus forgives me, but I can never forgive myself. And in the same way, you need rebuked too. And you're like, wait a minute, what? I'm punishing myself. You, you rebuke me. <laughs> when you do that, you are adopting a workspace righteousness. When you do that, you say that what Jesus did on the cross is not good enough. Not for my sin. In fact, I'm wiser than Jesus. You can't cover the sin that I have done. You know, I had that abortion years and years and years ago. And Jesus, you may forgive me, but I'll never forgive myself. Because my sin was more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross. That's what we are saying. Do not feel shame for doing that. We all need to be reminded of grace so we can walk into peace and joy. If we adopt workspace, righteousness will always fall short and peace will never be ours. Action steps, and this is what we need to do right now. We need to adopt a posture of repentance. And so we're gonna do this together in this moment. Psalms 139, 24 says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what that scripture says. And so I'm gonna lead you in that. I want everyone to close their eyes online, in person, 
I want everyone to close their eyes. We're going to take a moment because someone, something just got stirred up in someone, and it's time. And some of us are saying, but I don't know how I'm doing this. So what I'm going to ask you to do is repeat after me in your mind. Repeat after me in your mind the words of Psalm 139. We're going to give just a moment for God to speak. So say this, see if there is any way offensive in me. Imagine you're speaking to Jesus. Say, God, show me if there's any offensive way in me. Show me. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. The Holy Spirit reveal. Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a big thing. What is the offensive way in me? And then I want you to imagine that Jesus is reaching his hand out to you and that you take it and say these, lead me into the way everlasting. Lead me in the way, the journey. Lead me in the way. Lead me. And I speak over us that God is going to show us what we need to repent of, but he's also going to give us the power to move through it. I pray that you would experience that. When you're ready, you can come back. If you're still there with Jesus, that's more important than you encounter Jesus than whatever I'm saying. So stay there if you need to. But some of you now need to seek out forgiveness. There are some things that God brought up, and it's time to seek out forgiveness for the things you have done. There is no such thing as a good Christian because a good Christian infers that it's a work-based righteousness. You're a Christian, so you do things right, meaning you're a good Christian. I do all of these things. A good Christian (laughs) is just a Christian, just someone who has grace, who has received love and mercy that they could never deserve. Jesus covered all of our sins. Paul's fiery rebuke was because of his experience of fierce grace. In the rest of the series, we're going to dive into it, and it's going to feel hard at times. But you understand that he experienced a savage kind of grace, fierce, epic, incredible, that he was forgiven for the things that he had done, and he rebukes out of that place, and we can experience this. Will you receive correction? And what will happen is joy will rise in your heart that you have been forgiven. As we close here, I want to finish with these last two verses. It says this, who, this is Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Jesus covered our sins and he wants us to return to his love. Paul is making sure they understand that's the only thing that truly matters and if we get rid of that, we just have another religion. He's taking us from one reality to a new reality, from the imperfect system of sacrifice and circumcision into the new reality of complete and utter grace and peace for a purpose. And this is what I want to leave you with. Verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our grace turns into his glory. We are driven by new life, that we are changed and transformed again and again and again, and we're going to get excited about it. We're going to yell and shout, and joy will be ours. Joy will come. In fact, we will get so excited about it that we will focus on it when we lift our hands in worship and say, I'm a sinner, and yet you have given me life. I am someone who is broken, and yet I have peace with you. It should overflow into the way that we pray and thank him for our food or way we tuck our kids in at night or visit people when they are sick. That joy is ours, that we have a hope and a glory 
that we get to share in. And I want that to rise in you. Fierce grace. Jesus' love for you is incredible. I'm going to invite you online and in person to accept that in a moment. But I want to finish with some action steps for all of us as we finish. I want you to sign up and get baptized. We have a baptism um, service coming up on May 2nd. It's where we celebrate everything that's going on. We have some room left. You can sign up right now. Uh, and uh, you'll hear more about that at the end of the service if you want to know more. But sign up right now on the Now page. I want you to read Galatians. I want you to read Galatians. Read all of it. Read it. Dive into it. Take your time with it. Rewrite it. Do all the fun things. Go into it. Read that resource. Watch that resource. Dive into Galatians. It will transform you. And then I want you to be at church every week. You are going to experience great things every week as a single moment. But if you are here for the entire series, I guarantee that your understanding of the grace of God will be deeper than you ever thought possible. And from that, peace will flow as we meditate on what God is doing. Now, we're going to finish now. We're going to finish by inviting people to follow Jesus, to follow and experience this grace. I want everybody in the room to stand up and for those who are online in to focus in. We're not done yet. In fact, some of you, you're experiencing some joy and it's time to worship in just a moment. But if you want to follow Jesus with your life, if you want to follow him, now is the time. So I encourage you to close your eyes for a moment and to pray with me. What praying is, is just talking to God and he's listening. And I want you to give your life over to Jesus. That is grace that you have been saved, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that you can have new life, that you could be free, that you could receive mercy for all the things that you have done that you could never pay for, but you also receive grace, joy, and inheritance, and new life. And you could do that by talking to God and taking your first step on the way, your first step on the journey. You can do that by repeating after me out loud or in your heart. And make the words your own. Say something like this. God, I am broken. I cannot earn new life. But I believe that Jesus died for me. That he rose again so I might have new life. So today I choose to follow Jesus. To take one step on that journey. To know that I belong. No matter where I'm starting this, you aren't going to leave me there. And I will journey towards you the rest of my days. That shame would fall off of me in this moment. That condemnation would fall off me in this moment. That a burden, a great weight, would be lifted from my shoulders, not because I did a thing, but because Jesus Christ did it for me. Once again, thank you so much for listening. We're glad that you were able to be with us and listen to this podcast and hopefully be encouraged by the message. Um, Nathan did mention getting baptized, and we've already had um, some gatherings that have met together to talk a little bit more about baptism, uh, but don't let that deter you. If you would still like to get baptized in person, just reach out to us, and we would love to walk you through those steps. 
and, uh, and help you get baptized on May 2nd is when that's happening. Also, I want to let you know before that point, something called Meet the Pastor is happening. So if you're one of our listeners um, that doesn't come in person, maybe because you're not ready to yet, which is totally fine, or because you live somewhere else, maybe you don't even live anywhere near uh, Life Church Canton, but you still have engaged with us, you can uh, meet the pastor. You can get connected with us still digitally. And so there's information for that on our now page. It's lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And you can sign up for that uh, for a digital option. I'm going to be the pastor that you get to meet. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Life Church too. I'd love to hear your story as well. Thanks again for joining us. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.